Hello, Marlins fans, and welcome to a brand new episode of Swings and Mishes. I'm your co-host and producer, Jeremy Taché, joined as always. Hey, earlier in the week than usual, we're here on a Thursday instead of a Friday. It's Craig Mish. Craig, how you doing earlier in the week? Yeah, it is once again great to be with you here, and thank you so much to all of the support for the podcast. Would love to do one of these after a winning streak of of basically any kind, but we have just not been blessed enough to have that this season. So uh, here we are. Um, you know, we're we're getting close here to the trade deadline. We're getting close to the halfway point of the season. So uh, I think we kind of know a lot more than what we did about a month ago. So we'll dive into it today. Yeah, and we have a number of uh, rapid-fire questions coming at you, Craig, in a little bit that were sent in by our Swings and Mishes fans. But last week we spoke about, hey, the Marlins need to rattle off 15 of 20 here. We said that on Friday. Then they won two in a row against Atlanta, and all of a sudden there was the little spark of hope. They took two of three from Atlanta, but now swept by the St. Louis Cardinals, so they've lost four in a row. They got those two wins early in the series, but now two and four since we've last spoken, Craig. What are your overall thoughts on these last couple of series for Miami? Yeah, well, look, the, uh, against the Braves, they, they've proven this year that they're going to play better at home than on the road. Last year, they told us that they liked playing better on the road than at home. So it's baseball. Things change from year to year. Uh, I don't know why last year in particular they, they played better away from Lone Depot, used to be Marlins Park, and now they're playing much better at home. They're saying all the right things about wanting to be home, and we enjoy it at home. Okay, great. That's, that's the narrative that we're painting this year fine. So they'll come back next week and they'll face off with Toronto and Washington. Yep. But after the Brave series, they go on the road and they play against the Cardinals, and they have their top two pitchers, in my opinion, starting in Sandy Alcantara and Trevor Rogers, and they fail to win either of those games. Mm. So I, I think we, we have reached the end point and the tipping point of the season with this series. I think that that was pretty much it. I'm not saying the season is over by any means. Any team can win. Uh, 20 in a row or 15 in a row the Diamondbacks have proved that you can't lose too many in a row on the road my gosh what's going on with them right. by the way Marlins have three wins against them three of their uh -huh. wins uh, so so I, I think that th that kind of was the final blow so to speak to the season as far as understanding that in my opinion I, my opinion was when they went on the road the previous time and fell short that that was probably it but now we're really at the point now where we're about a month plus away from the tough decisions that are going to have to be made. I don't believe the team is going to compete for the postseason in 2021. I think that most people listening would, would agree with me there. If you want to be a homer and believe that there's still a chance, or if you're a huge fan, you should have hope. Anything can happen in baseball. But realistically speaking, I can't come on here today and say that I think that there is some magic potion that's going to you know, make, make this team start scoring five, six runs a game. So uh, we, we got to start analyzing this as, as, a, as, a, as a, for the future, I think, as opposed to the now, which is not something I thought we'd be doing on June 17th, that's for sure. Certainly not. And really, I mean, that game three loss in this series against St. Louis was particularly deflating. You have Sandy Alcantara throw the gem that he did and, and you come out with a loss. That one has to hurt if you're the Miami Marlins. Yeah, Sandy ha has pitched fantastic this season he's had one really rough start and, and beyond that he he could easily be an all-star again oh, yeah. I'm not sure that you know it's so funny that people want to put three or four Marlins on the all-star team on a team that's 10 games under 500 that's not the way mm -hmm. that it works 
So regardless of individual performances, it's going to be tough, I think, to get two guys on the, on the all-star team. They're going to have Trevor Rogers on the team. But beyond that, I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe they will, maybe they won't. They, they could, but to guarantee that is a little bit silly. It's a popularity contest among the best teams, and, and they want to have people watch the all-star game too. No offense to the Marlins, but that's – I mean, that, it's, just, it's just part of the game. It's a story for probably next month when everyone bitches about them only having <laughs> one guy in. Right. So, 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 so why was yesterday so crucial? Well, you had Sandy pitch his heart out, completing the game, almost go nine innings, and, and I think that you have to ask yourself – did the Marlins, the Marlins tried to win that game yesterday, but did they have the best personnel on the field from start to finish in order to win? And the answer is no. That was a really soft lineup they put behind Sandy with basically sitting all of the stars, sitting or stars. I mean, I, I guess that's strong, but Adam Duvall was, was, was sat yesterday. Starling Marte sat yesterday. Jesus Aguilar sat yesterday. Yadi Molina is 76 years old. He's catching his third straight game for the Cardinals. And, and honestly, um, I, I mean, I, I understand that Donnie's going to make the lineup and, and they, they were off on, on the day after that. I, I just don't understand it. I, I don't get it. There seems to be, to me, in my opinion, some disconnect there with what's going on. Um, I'm not sure everybody was in favor of doing that yesterday either. I, I, I don't know. I, I, it's, a, it's been a bizarre year to say the least mm-hmm. with some of the decisions that have been made it feels like last year the purpose was clearer it seems like last year the 40 man was worked better um i don't know i mean it's it's it's, it's been an odd season of just countless errors mistakes ma- uh, roster management that i think that have have costed the team in some way mm-hmm. and i think that honestly it was doing a disservice to not play any of those guys uh, backing Sandy yesterday, like none of them and to not pinch hit on, sorry, Donnie, but to not pinch hit any of those guys. I mean, we're coming off a game where a pitcher was pinch hit the day before, you know, like you, you, like that was the season sort of yesterday. You get swept with your bet. I mean, they're going into a a Chicago series where they just use two of their best pitchers. They're done. They're not going to be used this week. I mean, maybe Rogers is, I don't know, but, but um a little bit of a tipping point I think yesterday for the organization and I'm curious to see how this is moving forward but I but I feel like they're, they're in some way there's just some something changed from last year to this year where I just have a disconnect on the execution as to why it's been uh, spotty at least for me and um, and I do think yesterday's lineup um, it kind of kind of is going to serve maybe as some uh, as some indicators as to what happens moving forward because i understand what they did but uh, i i i don't think that what's the easiest way to say this i'm not sure that everybody was on board with that yesterday yeah let's just say that i i don't i don't i don't think that everybody was on board maybe i'm wrong but that's that's the way that i sense it no, and a tough loss like that can be deflating to to a locker room, to a clubhouse in general, where you see your ace go out there and give his all. And and Sandy was as good as he's been all season long, kept you in the game, but it, it felt like the Marlins, not that they weren't trying, they just literally did not have the lineup out there to be able to produce 
a singular run in support of their ace. And that's the type of thing to me, if I'm on a team that frustrates me and makes me feel like, what are we doing here? Are we trying to compete? So it's frustrating if you're out there and you're watching your ace battle that way. And, and that's no offense to the younger players who went out there and tried to give their all. But you look at the lineup and you have a guy who was called up two days ago batting third. You have guys who were hitting under 200 batting in the middle of your order. It, it's tough to compete in a game like that if you're Sandy Alcantara. Yeah, I, I don't I don't I don't know what the thinking was was beyond that. Uh, Donnie was asked that. And basically, he he kind of alluded to the fact that none of the guys were really hitting anyway, um, which which is fair in, in the series against St. Louis. They really were not. But but you had another day off coming. Right. That's the part. I don't, That's the and part. I don't and, and I don't think that it would have hurt anything to pinch it with Marte in the eighth mm-hmm. or the ninth with with some of those kids. I, and you're only down a run. So right. Man, I, I hate to do that because it's essentially, you know, just throwing Donnie under the bus, throwing the manager under the it's bus. One and, game. and we and we have good conversations as far as that. And and I think that you guys know that I participate in as many of these post games and pregames as I possibly can. But I I I don't know. You you lose two games in a row, your season is sort of on the line there. You have a day off coming the next day. Cardinals kind of approached it as a must win game. Why weren't the Marlins? Right. They certainly were not. Right. So, yeah, well, I guess at this point we have these questions to look forward to instead. Well, before we get to all of the rapid fire questions, there was an interesting topic that came up relating to the Miami Marlins. Technically, nobody's still within the Miami Marlins organization having this conversation, but there's been lots of talk about sticky stuff across Major League Baseball. You know, we've had this conversation ad nauseum here on the podcast and and throughout Major League Baseball. But an interesting conversation yesterday is Zach Gallen. Uh, made a point to point out that what he says is that Mike Hill, while in the Marlins organization, was pointing out to pitchers, hey, go ahead and use that sticky stuff. Um, obviously, Mike Hill came out and said that that was not the case, uh, specifically intimated that Zach Gallen's agent may have something to do with that. Craig, a fascinating conversation, obviously. What are your thoughts here on what Gallen had to say about Mike Hill? Really not sure where this comes from. Because I, I do think that every team and every organization is going to have to clamp down. There are pitchers and there are players within every organization that are using substances that they should not be. In terms of this specific situation, of course, I'm asking questions as soon as I mm-hmm. hear about this. I, I don't think there's anything to it. I don't believe that Mike Hill was an instigator of, of promoting illegal substance activity with the Marlins. I don't mm. think so. Not, not from what I'm gathering here. I've talked to people now, current, former players who have been with the Marlins. They do not believe that that is the case. So it does feel a little bit, unfortunately, like Gallen, like Zach has some sort of agenda here. Mm. I can tell you what I think, and I'm told maybe that's probably not true, but I could tell you what I think. I think that that Zach was traded by the organization, and and I think privately maybe some people uh, spoke about Gallon in a negative way uh, in, in terms of what he potentially could be in the future, meaning that Hey, we were, we were fortunate, really lucky to, I'm using a hypothetical. We were really lucky to trade uh, uh, Zach Allen to get back this unbelievable star jazz Chisholm. Right. And when you do that, and when you sort of slander 
someone in that way. Uh, you know, the, maybe this was Zach's way of, of saying, aha, like you want to hmm. take it to me. I'm going to take it back to you. I don't know the answer. Uh, I know Mike in his response yesterday said that it had to do something with Scott Boris. And I don't believe that to be the case either. Sorry, right. Mike. I don't, I don't think that this, has, I mean, you're telling me Scott Boris is engineering Zach Allen to say that the Marlins were tre- uh, cheating under Mike Hill. It's very strange. No, no, no. I, I don't, I don't believe that either. So uh, why are we going through this? I don't know. I personally don't care if, if you're saying, if you're on your high horse and, and you're a Marlins fan and you're saying, oh, good, Craig, I'm so happy to hear that the Marlins <laughs> are not using any illegal stuff and they don't promote illegal stuff. You're also wrong. The Marlins are using illegal stuff too. They are. Some of their pitchers on the team are. I'm sorry to break it to you. This is what's happening. But none of them, to my knowledge, have used this spider tack that everybody is talking about. Mm. I've asked that question too. Um, and, and in terms of illegal, there's this range of outcomes. Like what is illegal? How far can you go? What exactly are they? Using? I don't know the answers to these things. I don't personally, I don't care. <laughs> I mean, they're <laughs> going to have to stop Monday anyway, but I don't want to paint this rosy picture that the Marlins are like the pillar of, of innocence here either, because I don't believe that to be the case. But at the same time, there is levels of egregiousness. And I think that there definitely have been other organizations and other players that have been more egregious mm. than the Marlins. So uh, I, I don't want to paint this soft picture that, oh, like my favorite pitcher on the Marlins <laughs> is not doing anything and he is perfect. Of course, there are guys that are not doing anything and are perfect. But am I stupid enough to start rolling off names and make assumptions? And by the way, let's be totally real, ruin relationships with, with players that I have just by calling their names out and not knowing for sure because I mm. don't know for sure. I'm not going to do that here on the podcast. If I knew for sure, I would tell you. If somebody said to me, hey, Craig, look, I use spider tack and you can go ahead and, and use it on the <laughs> record on the podcast, I would tell you, but I don't know the answer to it. So unfortunately, this just created to me somewhat of a distraction for no reason at all with Zach. I don't know why he did it. Go around the league. Every team is using stuff. Go around the league. Every team is going beyond the norm of using the rosin and the sunscreen. Every team is doing it. Players are doing it. It's going to have to stop. And then we're going to find out next week who is. You know, it's funny. It feels like with the way that this is all coming to a head and the way that they're ending the use of sticky stuff on Monday, just, you know, clean, we're ripping off the Band-Aid. It feels like the entire like five year ending of the steroid era happening in three weeks. Like, oh, turns out these guys are using sticky stuff. Well, we better legislate this more. And it's all happening so quickly. And I think it's caused these rifts where these players are just willing to sort of say anything and they're laughing in post-game press conferences and then they're mad in post-game press conferences. It's really remarkable. But Craig, we're going to go ahead and get to all of these rapid fire questions here. I'm just going to start rattling them off. You give me your quickest and most thorough answer you can and we'll move to the next one. All right. All right. All right. So first of all, we're looking for a Sixto Sanchez update. Yeah, the, la- the last update was he was throwing from, what was it even, 75, 75 feet? feet? I think 75 feet. That was the last one. Uh, look, there, at this point, there is no rush to get Sixto Sanchez back. Let, let's, let's be real. Um, that, I, I have no other update beyond that. I've, I've been pretty transparent in saying that I really have no idea what's going on with this guy. And, and when he's healthy and when he's not and, and what we're being told and, and what is actually happening. I've said that I don't feel like we're being lied to, but I also don't think that we know the whole story. So uh, Sixto Sanchez, my guess, will pitch this season. 
but when is is really anybody's guess. And if you just paint out the trajectory from now based on 75 feet, you're looking at a post all-star break of some kind debut, if all goes well there. Right. And where are the Marlins at that point? I, I think you have to get him back because you want to have some innings to go into next year. But it's so funny. Like some people text me like, all right, so let's, let's talk about next year. We got Sixto Sanchez. We got, I'm like, what do you mean? For sure. <laughs> Wait, you got Sixto Sanchez? Really? Okay. You know, I'm, I'm glad that you feel that way. I haven't seen this guy pitch in a year, but yeah. Uh, yeah, that's, that's the goal, I guess, is to get him uh, back on the field late July, early August, and then make 10 starts and, and stop. All right. We'll look forward to that. Uh, we talked about Starling Marte's future with the Marlins on last week's pod. The folks are looking for an update there in the last week. Yep. No conversations, no update. They have still, as of us doing this, have not spoken to Starling Marte. I do not anticipate that happening. My belief is if the Marlins could get him signed to a two-year deal uh, in the $30 million range or so, I think that they would do that. I think that they know that they are not going to be able to. And I'm going to have to shift away now at this point from thinking they're going to hold on to him because a week ago, I thought that maybe they'd be staying in this thing. I'm now going to shift to uh, them trading him uh, on, mm. on, unfortunately on July. I mean, look, I, I have to reserve the right to be wrong and change opinions here. I guess there are some people in media that are afraid to be, I am not <laughs> one of those, but look, if you, if you lose a million games in a row and there's really no reason to hang on to a guy uh, you know, now that I know also, by the way, that they still have not spoken to him. And I think I had that story a week ago. Um, yeah, it, it, at this point, uh, two years seems to be the number that they would be willing to do, at least from what I understand. And you know, and I know that Starling Marte on the open market is going to get more than that. Of course he is. And so uh, I, I don't think he's going to stay. I think that they're probably going to trade him now. And, and maybe I'll change my mind if they win seven games in a row next week. But that's yeah. where I'm at. Uh, deflating. Uh, Devin Marrero called up for the Marlins. Uh, the question is really more, why not Bryson Brigman, who's been raking at AAA for Miami? Yeah, this, this goes, yeah, this goes back to one of those things that seems like a disconnect from 2020 to 2021. It's like in 2020, they had all 19 guys on COVID and it was like, let's just bleep the 40 man and let's call up Jesus and Monte and, and just like everyone. Mm-hmm. And, and let, let's give these kids a shot. And this year it's like, we're so afraid to do those sort of things. Um, no offense to Devin Marrero, but again, a move that makes no sense. 40-man churning. Uh, I don't think a great job has been done at that this year. Afraid to let go of players. Afraid they're going to get picked up by other organizations, I suppose. Uh, Brigman has been great. He deserves a chance. He's been with the organization for a number of years. Brigman is going to get called up, uh, I don't know, in the next month or so. He's going to get a chance. That's my understanding. Mm. He's on the radar. So it, uh, expect him to come uh, to come up. Of course, Let's also remember that Brian Anderson at some point this season will come back probably right. after the all-star break now, which is a story for another day. But regardless <laughs> of that, uh, Brigman's going to get a chance. You're going to see him with the Marlins this year. Last year, the Marlins at the trade deadline got really creative. They traded for Starling Marte, who was a player on the back end of a contract, sort of a high upside player. They, they shifted guys around. The question was, could we see the Marlins trade for another player with a high skill level like Marte? in a position where they can just trade from a positive perspective. Yeah. Look, all those things are possible. And, and I think that some of the names that could be available at the deadline are out there right now, but there are also a lot of teams that don't know if they're buyers or sellers. Like we know Pittsburgh is a seller. We know Arizona is a seller. We know, we think we know Colorado, even though Colorado's had a good series, 
we know that the Rockies are a seller. We know the Orioles are a seller. We know that uh, Detroit is a seller too. But then when you look at those rosters as, as their makeup, yeah, I mean, the Diamondbacks do have a couple of nice pieces there. But in general, you're not really going after those squads for somebody that you can have on the team next year, I, at least from, from my view. So it could be one of those surprising deals on the 30th where they take a player that really is not on the radar, like Marte was not on the radar right. at the deadline last year and do it. But unfortunately, at this point, I do not have any of those names. As we get closer to July 30th, you can rest assured, like every year, I will have those names. Couple young pitchers in the Marlins organization and Max Meyer and Jake Eater. They're both 22 years old. Some folks pointed out Sandy Alcantara, Pablo Lopez, Trevor Rogers all made their debuts around that age. Meyer and Eater have been so successful at the beginning of the minor league season here. So why not Meyer and Eater yet for the Miami Marlins? Still a little too early for them. They they didn't yeah. have a minor league season last year. And and of course they're gonna want to be a little bit careful there. But but at this point, with the way that the season is going, I would not rule out seeing a start or two from Max Meyer in September or maybe potentially Jake Eater in late September. But we're talking about, again, a one-start or a two-start deal. I don't think it would be anything more than that. Uh, I, I think it could be something to explore. Now, this is not a, a ticket-selling option, so to speak. No. But I, I do think that based on the way that things are going – uh, the Marlins are going to have to show something with these young kids at the end of the season to build some hope for 2022. I, I don't think they can simply just roll out triple uh, a guys at the end of September and say, uh, we'll see you next year. They, I mean, they have an inordinate amount of home games remaining, I think more mm. or just as many, many as anybody else in the big leagues. And look, you're going to be hard pressed to tell people, Hey, come watch us play when we're 16 games under 500. They're just not going to be able to do that. But one of the ways that you can is you could show the youth, at least on television to build back some of that, to say, Hey, look, look what we have coming down the pipeline. They've kind of started that a little bit with Jesus Sanchez. We don't know what's going to happen there with him. Lewin Diaz got called up. He almost did a home run the other day, hit one yep. in a pinch hit spot. So, so that's the kind of thing that you think you have to build in September. And maybe Meyer and Eater are part of that conversation in the last week or two. We already brought him up earlier in regard to that uh, spider tech conversation, but Mike Hill no longer with the organization. Obviously he was there last year. Uh, a couple folks asked how losing Mike Hill changed the path of the organization. It's, it's a really good question. Because I, I know that when then when Mike was there, they uh, they always talked about even on the way out that that there, it's such a collaborative effort with with everyone there that it wasn't just one person making the decision uh, mm. or two people making the decision. So with, with Mike being gone, I mean the, the the one tangible thing that I could point to is it just does seem odd on a lot of the decisions that have made this year. I don't know how much of it was all his decision last year. So it's not an easy question for me to answer because Kim has only been on the job now for six or seven months. Right. But it's, it's kind of a, it, this is the slippery slope that I have to go as it pertains with Kim, because on the one hand, she's a first time general manager and anybody that is a first time general manager and being in that chair and, and having to make essentially the biggest decisions in the organization there is going to have to be a, a learning curve and there's going to have Certainly. to be a buffer period to get that done. But when things go as miserably as they have on the field, then I think that you have to open up that conversation and say, Hey, look, like who is responsible 
for these moves and, and why are things going south and why are why are the Marlins constantly playing with a two-man bench and why mm. is Brigman not up and why is Alfaro in left field and why mm. is Curtis pinch hitting like those are all fair questions to ask and the general yeah. manager you know has to answer those questions so there, there's no like real grading uh, of Kim on the job this year like it's not it's it's like an incomplete I don't know uh, the 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 grading of the off season going into this year and, and being competitive is a is a virtual failure. I mean, it is. I mean, there are ten games under five hundred. You build. I, mm. I mean, if Kim's going to get responsibility for doing a nice job with the bullpen, you got to take responsibility for being in last and having one of the worst teams in the league. I mean, that's that's what goes with it. Uh, I mean, the best signing the Marlins have had, maybe maybe under this new regime completely, Jeremy is is Anthony Bender. I mean, it's really mm. what it comes down to, and, and he's yeah. not even a major league free agent. So I, I, I don't, there, there's, there's definitely things that feel different from mm. last year to this year. I will say that what those are, I can't, I'm digging, trust me. I can't yeah. quite put my finger on it. I feel it. I see it. it. It, things look different, but is that tangible for me at this moment? No, it is not, but you can rest assured. I do pursue uh, those, those answers. You know, just just to pick up on that really quick before the next question, something that I do wonder and I've been thinking about a lot, particularly with the Marlins franchise is was operating under a 60 game quote unquote pennant race, just something that's easier than over 162 when you do have sort of a, a weaker pro ready minor league system, right? You have a lot of prospects there. Last year, you didn't have a choice. All right, 60 games. We're making this playoff run. Let's just bring guys up. Let's just do what we got to do. We started hot. Now, it, it is weird when you're looking at 40-man roster implications, over 162 games. There's sort of a lot more to think about, a lot more to factor in. You deal with the injuries and you move on. So I do wonder how much that has to do with it, or if it is simply the communication is different now at the top of the front office. It and so yeah, how does I that mean, those, stretch? Those are all really fair points, and, and it may be. And, and my guess is at the end of the season, there will be some sort of changes You, you can't, if this sure. continues. You know, if you lose 90 games, I mean, Donnie said we're not going to lose 90, 100 games, but I got news for you. That's the, that's the trend. But, yeah. but I, I think that, you know, there, there are some things that you can challenge uh, uh, Kim on and, and you can challenge uh, Derek uh, Derek Jeter on like if you know when we when we speak to him again um, which is like when you when you're told like oh we have like we're building this wonderful depth in the organization well you're not building that in the infield that is for sure no. like so don't try and sell me something that doesn't huh. exist I mean you just called up Devin Marrero and you have Isan Diaz playing third base at every day yeah I mean I mean, you've owned the team now for a handful of years and this is, this is the best. And I mean, that's, that's just unacceptable to say right. that you have that maybe. But I think Donnie kind of, kind of acknowledged that some organizations have, you know, depth of pitching. That's what they have. Some don't have the infield and maybe that's what the Marlins don't have is that. Mm. So maybe that's potentially something that they're going to have to attack. Have injuries played a factor? Of course they have, but uh, you know, the funny thing in the conversations that I have privately, there hasn't been one person that has said that injuries are to blame for uh, this mm. outcome. None. There isn't one person that. And so when you see me Good. clowning on that on on uh, on Twitter and on social media, guess where it's coming from? It's coming from the organization. <laughs> right. Like right. like I would I would somebody would say to me, "Oh my gosh, woe is us." Do you believe all these injuries? I would say, "Hey, do you believe all these injuries?" But they're not doing sure. that. It's like you lost one nothing with all minor league players on a Wednesday uh. in the afternoon. I mean, who? 
has nothing to do with injuries. Like you didn't <laughs> play anybody on Wednesday. Right. You, you just know? sat him. Right. You just you sat everyone. So who's to blame for that? Uh, you can't score man. two runs in a game. That has to, that has nothing to do with injuries. Billy McKinney went to the Mets. He got cut eight times. This guy's like going nuts. Like they I had can't the chance believe to get we're Billy here McKinney. in mid June. You know, they had the chance to get a Dallas Garcia. Yeah, they had a chance. You know, who wanted Jesse Winker? Yeah. The Rays got 17. Oh, my God. Jesse Winker. Like, Goodness like who, gracious. Like who, who wanted all these guys? And 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 the identification of the offensive talent has been weak. Is it the execution? I don't know. Like, these are all very tough questions to ask in the midst of a of a horrible streak that the Marlins are in. But again, I'll, I'll continue to pursue those and, and do the best I can. Well, a couple more of those guys that we saw in the lineup who have continued to struggle for Miami. And the question is, will the Marlins ever cut bait with two players in Isan Diaz and Lewis Brinson who have continued to struggle at the major league level? And I know that's a kind of a harsh way to phrase this, but you know, well, that that's the question. That's right. Um, will they ever? Uh, yeah. I mean, they're going to have hmm. to eventually. And, and I don't, you know, I don't think that either of them figure into the long-term plans. Mm. And again, it, it does speak to like, where is the depth that, that you've been speaking of to have to keep bringing these guys back. Right. So, I mean, you know, maybe there's that organizational fear that you let a guy go and he becomes something with someone else. I mean, look how much we've talked, look how much others, I haven't talked a lot about Harold Ramirez, right? He was let go for nothing. All of a sudden he's, sure. he's doing great in Cleveland. Like that's the biggest fear as an organization. You're the St. Louis Cardinals. And you have some guy named Randy Rosarino wearing 87 uh-huh. in the outfield. And, and then you're like, oh, he's nothing. And then he goes and almost wins a World Series for Tampa Bay. And then you have uh, this, this guy that you signed internationally, Adalis Garcia. I'm um, looking at this guy two years ago thinking, oh, my gosh, this guy is a nothing. I watched his first mm-hmm. day with the St. Louis Cardinals taking all these pictures on the field and everything. They're just like, oh, we, we, we screwed up, gave him a few million. He's nothing. And now he's like uh, crushing a it. Star. For, for right. So that's the fear is that. And Milwaukee is having that same fear realized with Bender, right? Like they're, they're, mm-hmm. they're, they're feeling that right now they're, they're doing well. So they don't get asked those questions, but yep. they're feeling it. Maybe the Marlins feel like if Diaz gets into the right organization or if, or if Brinson does that, that they turn it around. And I know that's not an easy answer. It's not the answer that most people want. They want to see these guys not on the team and not playing anymore. And, and I totally get it. And in particular, I think it's acceptable to think that way with Isan, of course. I mean, look, mm-hmm. the guy has, he's just not hit at all. He's been picked off a number of times. He's played okay at third. And, and so that's been nice to see him be able to transition over to that position. But sure. look, look, I'm in agreement with everybody, with the average fan there, but they, they don't have depth. That is the answer. They do not, the depth that they seem or claim to have offensively, or they, maybe they're not anymore. They do not have it. And so the, the short answer is they are forced to play these players. Uh, Brigman is an example of a player that has no business still being in the minors and should get an opportunity. I am mm-hmm. totally on board with that. You, I mean, you give him a chance, give some of these other guys a chance. If Joe Dunan was healthy, I think he would have gotten a chance exactly. to, um, but it, look, it's, I, I see the same things everyone else is seeing. Yep. Yeah, we'll see them eventually. We'll see some of those other guys eventually, and and we'll see whether or not Brinson and Diaz are able to stay in the lineup. Obviously, Brinson, I mean, he's been up and down so much throughout the year. Tough to create any sort of continuity at the plate, but when he's been up there, it's, you know, it's been... He's had a tough season so far. Um, we talk about some some other guys who have been good for the Marlins, who have been in the organization for a few years now, and the question is, Brian Anderson, Sandy Alcantara, Pablo Lopez. 
These three guys are the three that everybody looks at as the internal options for possible extensions somewhere down the line. But the question was, will we see extensions for these three players or will we see all three of them or a couple of them traded before that's ever the chance? Well, we could start with Brian Anderson, who's now on the 60 day injured list. And in a best case scenario, he can come back in late July and play at a very high level for two months. And the Marlins probably could just simply go to arbitration with him and keep him for another season and not have to worry about an extremely high salary, as sad as it is to say. So at this point, because of that, there really is no pressure. And, and it, and it's, I know that people want him extended, but the injury did kind of derail his year a little bit. And it's unfortunate. Such a shame for him. Yeah. And and honestly, I I think that he thought that he could come back sooner than the 60 Mm. days. And uh, the Marlins don't see it that way. So I I thought that we'd see him probably first or second week in July, but now that timeline has been moved back probably because a lot of the 40 man crunching that they had to do, they just had to put him on the 60 day. So Sandy Alcantara will probably get approached this off season about a long-term deal. That's my guess. This is kind of the time to do it. If they're going to do it, he has not thus far at all zero conversations and that's fine as well. But if you're going to do something like that, this offseason is the time to do it. I don't know that he would entertain it or not. My sense is, is that you definitely want to get some runs for him before you ask. Maybe today is not the day to ask him to sign a long term. I would tell you that. No, but, but you know, maybe you, know, so you want to sign a five year deal with us and have no runs for you every day. Sandy, how does that sound? Just be Jacob deGrom. It's fine. Yes. What is that? What I mean, would be awesome. Right. So I, I think I think that they will approach him at the end of the year. I think that I think that there's maybe a more likely chance that they approach him as opposed to uh, Brian Anderson. And then I've, I've heard nothing in terms of Pablo Lopez. I've heard some like trade stuff maybe with him too, but um, mm. not, on, not on the Marlins pushing him, but maybe other teams being interested in him. And, and if the Marlins have any chance of just holding on to dear life and competing for the rest of the season, then that's not an option for a player. Sure. To be tra- so um, uh, the answer on, on all three is, is probably not, but if there it was one, it would be uh, Sandy. All right. So we've got the final question of our rapid fire here uh sort of conglomerated a bunch of these together (laughs) so the the first question was do we see another sell-off then it's who's traded at the deadline then it's is this person is that person so what all just grouped together is craig we're a little over a month away from the deadline if you had to predict right now who gets traded away from the miami marlins come the mlb trade deadline so their their relievers are, are always going to be coveted just because teams need healthy arms. And so my guess is Adam Simber will be traded at the trade deadline mm. for what I have no idea, but I would guess that some team will want a different look type guy. Uh, if you remember a few years ago, the Marlins had Brad Ziegler and they traded him for Tommy Eveld. So you can, I mean, uh, Ziggler was pitching uh, better, I think, than Simber was, but I, I think that that's the kind of trade that you'd be looking for, like a lower level project type pitcher. Uh, Dylan Floro would be a very good target for a team Absolutely. if he did, wasn't throwing 170 games this year. So I don't know <laughs> what he'll have left on July 31st, but if I was the Marlins, I would take a, dip, a big, deep breath and say, 
let's slow this guy down and mm. and try and trade him for a for whatever we can on the 31st because they are just using him over and over and over again and he is unfortunately not looked as good he can completely rebuild that value with a little bit of rest yeah just give him like a week off <laughs> yeah uh, uh yimmy garcia certainly should be traded on july 31st yimmy uh, to me uh, could be a nice later inning leverage type for another team, a seventh inning guy, an eighth inning guy mm-hmm. uh, on a team that's trying to win 90 games. If the Marlins are trying to do that next year, I don't think you can go into the season and say, and, and just guarantee that Yimi Garcia is going to be great. I, I just, I don't, I don't see that. Um, you know, Bass, I think because of his backloaded contract will be here in terms of the bullpen. Uh, Ross Detweiler could easily be moved if, if, if somebody wants to give back something for him. Uh, I could see him on the way out. Uh, Curtis is a younger type. I could see him back, but, but any of the relievers are in play now. As far sure. as the as far as the position players are concerned, I, I think the two players that make the most sense, unfortunately, at this point, would be Starling Marte because if you cannot sign him long term, and, and you're not in it, I mean, this goes completely against the last podcast I said. But if you're right. not <laughs> in it on the 30th and you're so far out, 20 games out, like that changes the conversation mm-hmm. of just keeping a guy and just praying that you can sign him or getting that draft pick. It doesn't make any sense. And I, and I, you know, and more, I think about it too, the Marlins really need another comp pick. Like, I mean, my gosh, like you're right. trying to win next year, go out and, and win the deal, try to get as much as you possibly can for Starling Marte on the, th- on the 30th, if that's your choice. And then the, another tough one to, to have the conversation with is Jesus Aguilar. And, and I think mm-hmm. that Jesus has done a nice job for them and has exceeded my expectations with the club. There's no doubt, but, Certainly. but Jesus is going to, is, is due $10 million next year at the first base position. And, 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 and it's, is he worth that? I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know the answer to that. It's a, it's a good question to ask. I have to do some comps and look at other players around the league, but if you want to play Lewin Diaz every day at first place in 2022, then you cannot have Jesus Aguilar no. next year. And then if that's the, if that's the case, uh, I could see him being moved as well. Uh, Duval is his, 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 I'm not really clear. I could see him staying. Corey Dickerson is stuck here. No one will mm. take him. Um, and that, and I think that, does that cover it? Did I that's miss it? Garrett Cooper is, is not of... healthy right now. So I'm not really sure yeah. what, what, what could happen there, but um, Cooper, I would like to see move too, um, if they could, if they could do that. Cause again, you can sure. only play unless there's a DH next year, maybe they roll that dice again. Right. That's, that's the one conversation that, that becomes a part of this is if there's a DH, what is Aguilar or Cooper's value for you long-term and then obviously Duvall, you know, his positional versatility that the Marlins have showcased this season, at least theoretically makes him a little more valuable than he would have been otherwise, knowing that he can play all three outfield positions as opposed yeah. to just the corners you would think. I, I think that if they move Marte, I don't think that they could move Duvall. Right, too. they'd you're, have to you're, start. You're him leaving that outfield, so, and, and maybe they move uh, Duvall in the off season. That's sure. possible to get another player back in return. Sure, but I, I I don't think that you can go into 2022 and have no major league. No way outfielders on yeah, your no roster way. no so, way and and i think doobie's done a pretty good job i mean he gets high I he gets Duval's cold pretty- he plays good defense uh you know he seems to be you know like enjoying his time here and 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 they could move him next year if they wanted to but to be would, perfectly I, honest i think i would keep him i think i would keep him Adam Duvall has completely exceeded my expectations for what he's been this season, both offensively and defensively, because 
he's exactly what we thought he was going to be offensively carrying the team for a few games at a time when he gets hot. And then yeah. he is who he is otherwise, but he's been so solid and, and, and given the Marlins a ton of really good at bats in the middle of the order. All right, that's it. We can that's take it. a deep breath. Now those all are right. all your questions. Um, I will give you an opportunity here just in case there is anything you want to make sure that you add in here, although we have covered a lot, but anything else you want to add here before we do wrap up this episode? Yeah, no, I, I think that we did cover it all. I, I think that, you know, we, we I, you know, we've been at this now for about 45 minutes. I mean, we, yep. it would be really, if somebody's like, oh, we need a rant or we need to yell and <laughs> scream and do all that. I mean, is there really reason to pile on at this point? You, 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 after the series that they played in Pittsburgh, you had to open up your eyes to what this season was going to be. Right. It didn't matter how many players were injured or not. Once that went down like that, and you're fighting for your life to win one game against the worst team or one of the worst teams in the National League, then you kind of had to know that, that, that the team is, is not going to be as good as they thought that they would be. So uh, the St. Louis series wasn't surprising, but I do think that, that I, I, while I was woke at that point, I, I think huh. that everybody else may now uh, be woke after the Cardinal series. So look, they'll uh, they have some nice things happening in the Dominican Republic. There will be some wonderful stories for them the rest of the year. Maybe we'll see Lewin get hot or Jesus Sanchez get hot, give some promise going into 2022. But unfortunately, we're doing this podcast at ground zero, essentially. Like mm. we're doing it at the the worst possible time. And we got to keep it real as always. So hopefully next uh, week, Jeremy will be back here. There'll be some sort of winning that we could talk about some really good performances, but uh, I just got to, you know, hopefully you guys can hang in there a little bit and hope for some winning because that's basically all you can do at this point. Yeah, this is one of the more, at least to me, one of the more interesting times that we've had in, in over a year here with the Marlins after we are in this position of going, yeah, you know, the likelihood of competing this season is just about over. So here at this turning point, what do we see the rest of the way? I think the next couple of months, and this is just my own personal opinion here, but I think the next couple of months of Jesus Sanchez's career are incredibly vital toward where this whole thing goes for the Marlins. Because if he shows up and shows that he can be for sure one of your starting corner outfielders next season, then that kind of changes what you can do come the trade deadline regarding Starling Marte, his future, all these other guys. So I'm excited to watch Jesus. I'm excited to watch Lewin Diaz. We'll get to see some of these young guys. We'll hope for some success so that there's some wins that we could talk about here. And as always, Marlins fans, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Swings and Mishes. If you're on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, go ahead and unfollow us and refollow us. We could use the numbers in the algorithm. Get us some downloads. Write us a review. If you write us a review, we will shout you out on our next episode. And I still have those hats on the way for the folks who have already done so. Uh, we got we to get those addresses lined up. I'll be DMing you guys this week. Thank you for listening to this episode and have a really wonderful rest of your week. 